Welcome back to our Real Insights for HR Executives podcast series. I'm Mike DeClaudio, leader of KPMG's HR Advisory Business. How new employees enter your organization is a critical part of their experience and something everyone from managers, recruiters, and even executives want to get right. Today, we're going to be learning more about employee onboarding by listening in on a recent session from our KPMG HR forum titled Onboarding. Technology and HR Process, How to Drive Real Business View from a Successful Employee Onboarding Experience. In this episode, we have a full panel of experts, including Sylvia Pagan, the Vice President of Global HR Operations and Business Applications at ServiceNow. And from KPMG's Management Consulting Ranks, Principal Suzanne Skipper and Director Rob Kojikaru, finally joined by Lynn Ballerini, an Executive Director in KPMG's own HR function. Statistics show that more than 86% of employees decide whether or not to stay at a new company within the first six months, while more than half of new hires who go through an effective onboarding process are likely to still be at that company after three years. Together, our panelists will discuss strategies for creating a positive onboarding experience. So with that, I'll pass it off to Suzanne. We'll kick off our session. Welcome to Employee Onboarding. I'm Suzanne Skipper, a partner in KPMG, and I will be joined in this session with my colleagues and clients, Rob Kojo Karu, Director out of KPMG, Sylvia Pagan from ServiceNow, VP in IT, the lovely Lynn Ballerini, also from KPMG, but she's a client as well. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I assume that you are here either because you already believe in the power of employee onboarding or you are just curious. In either regard, we are going to try to satisfy both of those interests for you. I have been in consulting, you know, primarily in human capital, people and change consulting for 25 years. And I will share this with you. 25% of the U.S. population, not speaking globally just yet, of the U.S. population experiences some kind of transition every single year. That is a constant average. Are there dips when there is a recession? Are there peaks? Absolutely there are, but that number doesn't change, and it accounts for whether it's a voluntary or involuntary transition. Another stat for you, 50%. In my career, I have seen, we have all seen, I'm quite sure, the war for talent begin, and the war for talent is being waged, and it's very hard to tell when it's being won, correct? But at the end of the day, I will share one thing with you. It has been, up until the past Two years, give it you know three or four years, a fact that onboarding, the topic of our conversation today, really has been the forgotten stepchild, if you will, of the talent management process. And it really should not be, because 50%, when you're looking at the lower end or the higher end, senior executives within 18 months fail, I'll talk about what fail means, within 18 months of starting in a new role on the tail end, Hourly employees within four months decide to vote with their feet. They decide to leave a new job within the first four months. And you can say to yourself, well, well, why is that? Are we looking at a certain demographic? No, we're talking about the beginning, we're talking about the tail, people, someone in their career. Is it about a certain industry, a certain sector, a geography? That's not the case. The reason, the primary reason for that is onboarding and the experience that people undergo when they enter into an organization. Just like a culture of an organization will evolve, whether you do something about it or not, there will be an onboarding experience. People come, people go. When people come, if you don't have a structured program, 
there is the risk that there is a variability and consistency in what that experience is. Think about the hope and the promise. Everything that we have our recruiters doing, everyone in talent acquisition, everything from sourcing to recruiting, getting people in, wooing them in, a lot of attention paid to that. So much effort and investment, technology around that. But then there's kind of this, this hump, there's this gap, if you will. Onboarding has not been paid attention to. Again, on the back end, tons of attention paid to everything from goal setting, performance, development, career transition, workforce transition, succession planning, leadership development. But the onboarding has remained really untapped field for us in the area of people and change and in human capital. This number is probably the one that people who like numbers, people who care about financial impact, care about the most. 150%, if you take someone's salary, I'm not talking about the fully loaded cost of someone fully loaded with benefits, but if you take the cost of someone's salary, the financial impact of someone leaving an organization and replacing that person, that turnover cost can be as much as 150% of that. So there goes your return on investment. It's a negative return on investment for someone that you just hired. In a nutshell, it's the time, the energy invested in that person. It's the time, the dollars, the hard dollars spent on training that person, investing in that person, and also loss of productivity. Because if that person is leaving the organization, something's not getting done. Something in the market is not being met. That need is not being addressed. I will stop boring with numbers after this one, 58%. If you do something, if you have any kind of a structured program, that addresses retention, my friends. People will be more likely to stay with an organization after three years. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, are we really just talking about all these millennials today, these people who fashion themselves to be free agents, who don't have that sense of loyalty? My husband, we've been married for 25 years. He has been with the same organization since college, 32 years. That's rare. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I can count the number of people I went to business school with. There were a total of two people who have been with the same organization since 1990. Think back to you know, our parents' generations. My parents said to me, Suzanne, get a job, get married, get an apartment, don't go mingle your, your business at your bank account with your husband, all these things. Be a good girl, you know, that sort of thing. You know, don't look anyone in the eye on the subway, all these things. I'm from New York. <laughs> and the one thing that they always kept saying within that whole mantra of growing up of get a good job with a good company, that's your career, that's your life. That is not the case anymore. You'll hear from our HR survey, these stats and this whole transition career, the things that millennials care about, guess what? A lot of us care about today too. A lot of experienced senior hires care about this too. They're looking about where they can add value, where they can make a mark. They're thinking about the next stepping stone in their career. There are people in their 30s and 40s who aren't looking to land someplace for the next 20 or 30 years. They're thinking about what's my next step, what's my next move. The expectation of loyalty and organizational commitment long-term, you can't bank on that anymore. I think we all know that. I'm going to ask Rob to speak a little bit about why it is that onboarding has been the stepchild because it really is, by definition, a fragmented process. Rob? Hey, thank you. When you look at onboarding in general, there are so many players that contribute to onboarding. How many of you are responsible for some sort of onboarding activity within your organization? From a provisioning standpoint, from a HR standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, there's so many people or there's so many actors to this play. 
And it's almost like a, a symphony, per se, in that you've got so many different activities from a business unit standpoint, from an IT standpoint, from a data standpoint for HR and payroll, because I think we all like to get paid. And then, of course, from a facilities. I need to get on site. I need access to certain items. But there's not one person that's responsible for all of those activities that take place. If you look at onboarding, and I'm going to oversimplify here for a bit, but it really breaks into two buckets. You've got all of the HR items, cultural experience, all of my forms, my data, all those data elements that need to get raked in to get pulled into those systems of record. Then you've got all those provisioning tasks. I need a laptop. I need access. I need system access. It's an oversimplification, but it's a good way to think about it. And it's neat when we start having engagements or we start talking about how do we optimize those environments. Because as we invite people to the table, there's people at the table that have never met each other before within that organization. Oh, hi, are you new? No, I've been here about five years and I do all of the IT provisioning. Oh, I never knew you. Welcome to the party. So being able to pull together those individuals to optimize that environment is critical. It's a symphony. And there's many different ways to do it. It's people, process, and technology to pull together the experience they need to. Somewhat passive, isn't it? It's, there's things I need to get to you. There's things you need to get back to me. It's not an opportunity to say, how do I get you engaged? How do I get you productive? How do we get you to participate as a valued member of the organization and increase the time to productivity to the point that you're active in your organization? So what I'd like to do is let's talk about where the proof is in the pudding. I'd like to introduce Sylvia Pagan, Vice President of HR Operations and HRIT. Sylvia, I'd love for you to take and walk us through your experience onboarding happens everywhere. It doesn't happen well everywhere. And that, you know, my career, I have been in finance, I've been in healthcare, I've been in technology, retail. I haven't seen anyone get it right over the years. A lot of people say we have an onboarding process, it works very effectively, but it tends to be very siloed. There's HR onboarding, there's IT onboarding, there's facilities onboarding, and those systems and processes don't tend to really flow together very well. And so that's what we started looking at about three years ago, is looking at our onboarding process. And we had processes in place. We had functions and technology and systems that helped create tasks and assign tasks and get work done related to onboarding. But we were missing some of that interaction and engagement with the person, the individual coming in. HR, IT, we were high-fiving, we were getting it done, but we wanted to also wow people. And in today's day and age, when you're looking at an app and you can complete online enrollments and purchases and do all sorts of things while just walking down the hallway, we wanted that experience to be the same. And we also understood that at all levels, Starting a new job, people have a lot of anxiety around that. Somehow you suddenly become that six-year-old child starting school for the first time, and they're still trying to get to know the environment, the culture. Where do I go? What do I do? There's questions. And if you're struggling with that, I think it is very difficult to say, okay, I made a good decision in coming here. So that's just how we got to starting this. And so when we started looking at our processes, we started mapping things, and we did find that we were bombarding new hires on day one with all of their paperwork and transactions and emails and just, by the way, print this out, sign it, scan it back, email it back. 
behind the scenes, we were getting things done. People were getting all of their equipment and their cubes assigned and things on day one, but were they prepared to do their job? Did they understand who they were working with? Who was the guy sitting next to them in the cube or the office? And we started doing this data mapping exercise and we just found that there was so many redundant processes and there was so much chaos and there were opportunities to really level the playing field in terms of what people were doing. So we were looking at everything across the board from the moment people get an offer to you know 90 days post hire and that's what we considered onboarding. We dropped the function, stopped calling it HR onboarding, IT onboarding. It was just onboarding. And we also looked at what are we trying to solve for? It's not necessarily having those tasks, but there were different components that we looked at. The hiring manager's experience, the recruiting and staffing organization and what their experience is. Largely in HR, we have a lot of great applications and behind the scenes, you've got HR people running around with Excel spreadsheets and post-it notes and different things. So we were trying to solve for multiple problems when we started going down this path. And so we did our journey mapping and defined those personas to say it's not just an onboarding process, but who are also the touch points, who are the individuals that are getting impacted, and how do we make their experience easier, all the way from HR to IT to facilities, information security, even internal audit and reviewing how those security and roles are defined and assigned. And so we started mapping out not just the processes, but the journey against those processes. And Sylvia, yep. during that exercise, it was more than just determining the tasks, right? It was also what their experience was like as they were going through the process. Yes, so every time we got to a task in the workflow, we absolutely tried to look at the experience, the person that's fulfilling that task. Do they hate their jobs? Because they might, um, because it's a redundant task or it's just not executed easily. They have to go through various systems to complete those tasks or to identify what it is. Employees are providing a lot of information up front in their resumes and their applications, and then they're doing it again in an HCM system, and then they're doing it again in a payroll system. So we were really looking at experience as well employee experience, manager experience, everybody's experience, we were really trying to drive our processes based on that outcome that we wanted. So we did start looking at the experience and again trying to get away from task-oriented activity and streamline the process based on the type of individual coming in. We didn't want this buffet. Here's your onboarding activities. If you're in the U.S., click on this. If you're not, move away, sorry for the extra attachments, things like that. We really wanted the system, the application that we were building to know who that person was. Who do you report to? What group are you in? If you're in finance, you need access to SAP. If you're in HR, you need access to Workday. But we really wanted to build upon that and make it very, very easy. For us, we talk about it in a way of taking Okta single sign-on one step further in saying people can be interacting with multiple systems but not knowing it. We wanted just one experience. So we started to build out what that would look like and how to map out that activity to engage people. And a lot of times, especially in EMEA, when you hire someone, there's sometimes a one month delay or two months before they actually start. And what we were hearing and what I hear from other companies is a lot of people fall into a black hole in terms of here's your offer, they've accepted their offer, great, you start at the end of April, 
and then it goes silent unless the manager or the recruiter or somebody puts some sort of reminder on their calendar like I should check in and see how this person's doing. We're just sending the stagnant emails around, okay, your start date's here, show up there, and then you trust that two months later that person's actually going to feel welcome to the company. We really put a lot of things in front of that before they actually get to their start date so that they could start to interact with their team so that they can start to see some of the collaboration so they can start to see some of the videos depending on the timing if you're in the US and you're being hired in December or January we will have banners that are very relevant to our sales kickoff for example if you're in the sales team but we were really trying to target individuals with our process have them complete their forms communicate with the relevant people in their group, stay connected, get all the information on benefits and vacations and holidays, travel. Some people start on day one and they're expected to go in and book travel to a conference or an event. They don't have access to Concur yet or their expense system. So we tried to get in front of all of that. So when they came and they showed up, they truly just had to do orientation. And that really was just an information, you're not filling out paperwork, you're not trying to figure out how to get logged into your laptop, you're not trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. It was just more of, hi, welcome to the team, let's chat. What was your goal when you started on this journey that you were trying to shoot for? What was like your, the factor for success that if you reached that point, you knew you kind of did the, the right thing? So we did have a survey, a 30-day post-hire post survey that went out to candidates that asked the question, just very simple, what was your onboarding experience like? One to 10, which was probably too high of a range, but on average it was five or six, which we were really trying to target that. We ended up far surpassing our goals in just tackling that. We really did focus on the employee coming in, which I think was the piece that's missing in a lot of the onboarding processes anyways but the benefit across the board with all those other organizations just kind of came with it. So customer satisfaction was the yes. kind of the leading indicator of success yes. for the group. You know, you're a high-tech company, so you should produce some high-tech applications <laughs> when people are coming on board. So definitely that was one of our number one objectives. And Sylvia had a bit of an unfair advantage because she was the executive sponsor, but also owned talent <laughs> acquisition as well as the uh, HR IT processes. Right. Sometimes that's the hardest part is yes. who owns all of these factors that contribute to onboarding. Right, right. You mean she could also force people to go to the journey mapping sessions? <laughs> she could wave her <laughs> wand and say, here's what will happen. Yeah, yeah. I had an edge. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Okay, great. One thing that I want to do before we have Lynn come up and share the KPMG story, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned, Sylvia, about contingent labor. There is such buzz in the market, in this space, and not surprisingly, but it's not just for your traditional W-2 hire. It's for interns. It's for part-time employees. It's for seasonal employees, right? So if you're in retail, you're having to do that. And sometimes people even bulk up even just for open enrollment. And depending on where you are in your organization and depending on what the operating budget looks like, sometimes you know we all have vacancies, but sometimes we don't quite get permission to fill those vacancies. Yet you have a long tail of contingent labor, you know, contractors who 
are long-term contractors and they feel like, they start to act like part of your employee base, the, the benefit is they don't have benefits and all that stuff, and you know, they're, they're kind of fungible. It's like you're having your own in-house pool if you're in healthcare. And sometimes we find ourselves becoming dependent on that contingent labor, not entirely like they're full-time employees, but they kind of are. You know, they're filling a need and roles and responsibilities on your table of organization, even though they aren't full-time employees. And when those people come in, the onus is on us, the onus is on HR, because that's where the bony finger of fate you know, winds up pointing when something goes wrong. You gotta make sure that they know the organization, they know the rules in the road, that they are in compliance with everything that is important in the organization. They're meeting those standards. Earlier this year, engagement that we had began as internal audit exercise, controls and compliance, and HR assumed that you know, finance and security and admin services were taking certain things. The reverse was also assumed and a big gap and a, a huge you know, controls environment, a new system was put in place for checks and balances just to make sure that as people are coming on board, this is a financial services entity, to make sure that they're you know, anti-money laundering and their suspicious activities, training exercises, that people were taking those, but not that they, they were only taking those, that they were actually capable after taking the course. So turning things from just a check the box exercise into making sure that understanding is there. And again, you know, Rob used the word engagement. Engagement is not just a nice to have. Engagement translates into dollars and risk and compliance and productivity. And you have to define engagement as well. You can't just say, I really want engaged employees. What does that mean? Each organization does it a little bit differently. Some organizations have seen more engaged employees I found ways to make certain tasks easier. Well, that's kind of process optimization. That's, that's automation. What do you really mean by engagement? So asking some simple questions and getting some very simple answers helps model what that future state's gonna look like. We have a really great story about this journey. I think it was about nine months ago when I realized I had a real blind spot because I thought we had a great onboarding process. We were very innovative eight years ago, and, and I implemented an electronic onboarding process to replace our paper-based offer letters. I thought it was pretty good. And then we underwent an acquisition and acquired some folks who had a different expectation about what the onboarding experience should be. I mean, I had a user interface. You would click on a link, you would go in, you would fill out your forms, it was very administrative. They wanted an experience. And I think we're hearing a lot about that in several of the sessions these past two days. So it's not about an interface, it's about a user experience. We have a pretty big organization. We hire 10,000 people a year in the U.S. And they're at various levels and in different businesses, audit, tax, advisory, and our business process groups. So they all have unique needs, more than 90 offices. So when I started going down this journey and working with advisory about what it could look like and how we could really change that user experience, kind of hard for me to wrap my head around like, what would be so much better than what we have today? Because I thought we had a lot of good stuff going on. What we have today really is an experience. And as Sylvia mentioned, they get this early on. As soon as they get their offer from the ATS, we send them a link and they go and they click into our KPMG onboard web and they 
can meet some of our leaders, watch videos. They see our KPMG story. What do we do at KPMG? And they get really excited about the company that they're joining and about our culture. They learn about us. We have some stats there and some things like that. We also have a day one guide. They can go in there and they can actually see the building that they're going to be working at and information about parking and other things that varies by location. They also have tasks. So we have these widgets that uh, are highlighted for their actions. And when they click into those tasks, different things happen depending on where they are in the process. And we keep them informed about where they are. So they're feeling like they're getting prepared, they're having something to do, they're getting excited. On the back end, we're also at my onboarding team or their hiring manager can see their progress. So what we ultimately did is we recreated the newcomer experience. And starting again with the pre-hire center and then wrapping it around all the other activities that occur during their first 90 days and beyond, in some cases depending on their position and level and their role in the firm. And so that journey is really an experience about them joining us, the culture, and it's celebrated. Knowing you had a capable system in place, so transactionally you were getting everything you needed to get, knowing your environment intimately, it was very efficient and effective. What was your case for change? What made you say, you know what, I can do this better? Was it employee feedback? Was it you wanted to really drive engagement? What kind of pushed you into saying well, we could do things better? We did get some feedback that started to get us thinking that we're not really presenting the user experience that reflects our culture as an organization and where we want to be in the future. It was old and tired. It was eight years old. It was administrative. And I have to be honest, some of our leaders in HR really didn't initially see this vision or understand, you know, what is a user experience? I mean, you have to fill out paperwork to start. And the feedback that we're getting this is what I really love, has been phenomenal. I mean, so we went live in December, so it's relatively new. We've had 400 people come through the new tool. We get all of these awesome comments and, and feedback, great survey scores. We had good survey scores before, they weren't great. And just this past week, I had a rehire come through who filled out the survey and said, you know, I joined KPMG two years ago, and it was a much different experience. Wow, this is awesome. And I was like, yay! You know? <laughs> so it really does make a difference, and I think it's something that our team in HR is very proud of. In this level of effort that you had, obviously you, you implemented technology to help you with, with the user experience. Was there also optimization work that you put into this from a, here's how we normally do business, and here's how we want to do business in the future type initiative? There was not a lot of that. I think in retrospect, I would have liked to do more of that. Mm -hmm. We had some challenges working with our constituents in recruiting and the other groups. It's really important to work as a team and do a lot of, I guess, process review and things like that. We did more of a lift and shift. I think we could have done a little bit more process improvement. But at the end of the day, it all came together seamlessly. I worked very closely with the developers, I'm sure you probably did too, and it's really impressive how I think modern and easy to use the system is and how well everything works in the back end as far as the integrations and the workflows that are enabled by using the tool. So 
some of the things that I think you've heard today from both Sylvia and Lynn, these are some of the best practices, leading practices. Don't just think about what happens in our HR silo, think beyond and about bringing those things together. Some organizations, maybe there's more differentiation depending on your populations and how people are walking in the door. Don't just automate. I think that's where you were going with your comment. Don't just automate because garbage in, garbage out. Fix the process first, optimize it, standardize it, then you flip the switch. And the whole point of this is talking about the movement around customer experience that got traction because that's what people associate with driving revenue, generating market share. We're in the era now, we're taking that movement around customer experience and turning it internally to make it employee experience because that matters. Employee experience and engagement matters because those are the people in the organization behind the scenes and also on the front lines, customer facing, who will, guess what, drive market share and revenue. And if you're public, you know, your stock price. Thanks again for joining us on this podcast. Stay tuned as we hold future conversations on real insights for HR executives.